Uh, let's begin and pray to our great God. Dear loving Father, we pray that as we hear your word, that you may give us attentive ears, a soft heart, and wills that will conform to your ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'd like to start today with a question. Have you ever made a foolish mistake? Or have you ever done anything that made you look like a bit of a fool? Now, I'm not sure about you. Uh, you might not, but I have. I've made plenty of mistakes in my life. Like forget Valentine's Day. Forgot Valentine's Day every day since we got married. Except today. You can't, it's hard to forget today with those little uh, bookmarks that we got. I, I didn't get my wife got anyway. But the most foolish thing that I've ever done was back in my day at university. It was a serious car accident that I was involved in. It was between my Honda and the bus stop. Now, thinking back <laughs> to this accident, it was an accident that should have never happened. I mean, when we get our license, we learn about road safety, don't we? We learn how to drive safely. We learn that when we see a roundabout, we're meant to slow down. We, we learn that when the road is wet, we're meant to be extra careful. And in, in Melbourne, that's where I'm from, the TAC, that's the Transport Accident Commission, they, they campaign endlessly on TV, in newspaper, drumming into the heads of drivers that we are to drive carefully, drive safely. That speed kills, that fatigue kills. And I knew this. I've seen all those horrific ads on TV. I knew all this. I've listened to all their messages. But one morning, I was late for my class. And, and so, what did I do? Well, all that I knew, all that I've learned, all that I've listened to, well, it wasn't that important that morning. This morning, I thought I was like Schumacher. I saw this roundabout. I thought I'd take the racing line. So I went towards this roundabout. I didn't really slow down. And what happened? I lost control of my car. My car spun around 180 degrees and it hit sideways in the, into the bus stop. That was my first car. It was very sad. It was a total write-off. <laughs> so that was a foolish mistake. That was my most foolish mistake so far. It was a stupid mistake. It was a dangerous mistake. I've heard all the messages of road safety. I've listened to them all. I knew it all. But like a fool, I didn't put it into practice. I didn't really listen properly. The passage we're looking at today also speaks of a fool, a fool who didn't listen properly. Now, our passage today is structured a bit like a sandwich. And like any simple sandwich, you have your piece of bread on the top and the bottom, and in the middle you have the, the important bit, the meat. So this passage, the top piece of bread goes from verse 19 to 21. And in this section, James speaks about living righteously. The meat sandwich of this passage goes from 22 to 25, and here James focuses on the fool and the wise. And then finally, the bottom piece of bread, 26 to 27, James speaks about living religiously. So we got that. We've got the two pieces of bread, top and bottom, really about how we are to live as Christians. And the meat section, it focuses in on the fool and the wise. So now let's turn our attention to the top piece of bread. How are we to live a righteous life? Well, James here speaks of two aspects of our lives, our tongues and the moral filth in our lives. So firstly, let's look at our tongues. Well, James begins this passage by urging us that we are to use our ears before we use our tongues. 
that we are to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We see this in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak. Now, why is it that you think James encourages this? Why does he encourage us to be quick to listen and slow to speak? What's he trying to get at? Well, you see, James understands the tremendous power that the human tongue has. He later goes on to describe the tongue as a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. And that's because it's with our tongues that we most easily stumble. It's with our tongues that we most easily fall into sin. And so James therefore teaches us to be slow to speak. You see, our speech exposes to the world what's in us. It lets the world see what's in our hearts. It's like the window to our hearts. And so James, he urges us to be quick to listen and slow to speak. We're to be quick to listen to each other. And more importantly, we're to be quick to listen to the word of God. So now we move on. James also teaches that we are to be slow to become angry. And we read this in verse 19. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, anger is very often linked to our speech, isn't it? I mean, when we get angry, when we're unrestrained, when we're hot-tempered, it usually lets itself out in words. And very often, these are hurtful words, words that are damaging. And that's not the way we are to live righteously, James tells us. God did not call us to be an angry people. But God called us to be a gentle people, a kind people, a peaceful people, a people who are self-controlled, a people who are loving. And we see this in verse 20. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. So James is here clear that living the righteous life will involve controlling our tongues. But is that all there is to living the righteous life? But James now speaks about this second aspect of our lives, our moral filth. You see, even if we're good at listening, even if we're really good at controlling our tongues, James is telling us here that the righteous life will also involve getting rid of all sins, not just sins from our tongues, but all moral filth. And the image that we're given here is like being dirty. You're, being, you're, you're muddy, you're, you've got dirt all over you, and what we want to do is get rid of all this mud, this dirt off us, clean ourselves. And so that is to clean all our you know, pride, our greed, our envy, our lust, all sins. We want to get rid of all, all of those things. And this is what we read in verse 21. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is so prevalent. So how is it possible that we can do such a thing, to make such big changes to our lives, how is it that we can live the righteous life that God desires? Well, it is by humbly accepting, accepting the word planted in us. What is this word that's been planted in us? Well, this word is the word that saves us. And so that's the gospel. That's the message about Jesus, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and his lordship over us. That is the word that has been planted in us when we believed. And so we're told here that we are to accept this word. Now, to accept this word is not meaning that we accept it again as we did the first time we believe, but we are to allow this word to sort of take deep root within us, to, uh, to grow, to bear fruit, to change us, transform us, and to enable us to get rid of all this moral filth. And we read this in verse 21. 
Humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. So there you have it. That's the top piece of bread. The righteous person is the one who will accept this saving message about Jesus and will allow this message to change the way they speak and how they live. So now we move on to the middle section, the meat section, the fool and the wise. Now this is a critical section in understanding this whole passage. You see, listening to the word of God alone and just knowing how to live is simply not enough. Listening to the word of God should actually result in us being changed by it, putting that into practice, doing it, obeying it. To only listen, even if we do so intently, is simply inadequate. James actually calls this foolishness. He says that's delusional, and we see this in verse 22. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. And this shouldn't come as a surprise to us, should it? I remember when I was leading youth group back at my old church in Melbourne, I was a bit of a Bible Nazi. I wanted my youths to build a good habit of reading the Bible. So what we did was we got our youths, every single one, on a Bible reading plan to read through the whole Bible in one year. Now these are youths, they're teenagers. As you ex can expect, they didn't do it. So we relaxed it a bit. We said, okay, let's, let's just read a New Testament in one year. And, and to ensure that they do that, Every week before youth group, I'll do a roll call. I'll mark their names off as, as they've done their reading. <laughs> it was a bit of a Bible Nazi. So what do you think about that? What do you think about what I did? Sounds good, doesn't it? I mean, getting our youths to read the Bible and more of it. Sounds right, doesn't it? But let's think about that. I mean, what good is it if my whole youth group did read through the whole Bible? Even if they did understand the deepest bits of Scripture... But their reading, their listening to scripture did not lead them to obedience. What good is that? You see, James is calling that foolishness, to, to listen but not do. And James, he actually provides us with a great illustration to just to show how silly it is. Look at verse 23 and 24. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself... He goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. I mean, it's pretty silly, isn't it? We sort of played this this morning. It's silly. Just imagine that. Every morning I look in the mirror, I do my hair, I walk away, I try to remember what I look like, but I can't remember. Do I have curly hair? Am I blonde? Am I balding? Do I have an Asian face? Is it good looking? I just can't remember. It's, it's silly, isn't it? It's just silly. It sounds like a serious case of dementia, this guy. So who is the fool in the eyes of God? Well, in the eyes of God, the fool is one who seems like he's doing all the right thing. He's listening, he's hearing, he's even understanding. But he leaves one thing out, the critical thing. He does nothing about it. He doesn't obey it. That is the fool. But now if you think about it, it's not only foolish, is it? It's actually disobedient. It's unchristian, and it's just plain stupid. In fact, it can potentially be dangerous. I mean, I knew exactly how to drive. I knew I'd, I heard it all, I listened to it all. I thought I was a good driver. But like a fool, I didn't put it into practice. And so I could have actually potentially killed myself or killed someone if there was someone standing at the bus stop. 
it's potentially dangerous. And in the same way, I might think I'm a great Christian. I might think I'm an awesome Christian. I go to uh, church every week. I go to two services every week. I attend Bible study. I read my Bible every day. I'm an awesome Christian. But if my reading, if my listening does not lead to any humble obedience, then I'm really just a fake Christian, aren't I? I'm a fraud. I'm a fool. So rather than be this fool, what are Christians to be like? Well, after listening to the word of God, that should lead us to obey it, to do it, to put it into practice. And James here teaches us what the wise man does. Have a look at verse 25. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. So what's the difference between this man and the man in the mirror? Well, this man, he looks into the perfect law that gives freedom. What's this perfect law? What is it that gives freedom? Well, it's referring to the same word that was planted in us, the word which saves us. So this perfect law is referring to the gospel. And so this second man, he's looking intently into the gospel. And what does he do about it? Well, firstly, instead of walking away like the fool, this man continues in it. He perseveres at looking at this gospel. He contemplates this gospel. Secondly, instead of forgetting what he's just looked at, what does this man do? Well, he does it, doesn't he? He obeys it. And so rather be deceived like the fool, this man is blessed. So that's the meat of the sandwich. That's the center section, the fool and the wise. So after listening to the word of God, we can be one of two things. We can be the fool who does nothing about it, or we can be the wise Christian who actually obeys. Now we come to the bottom piece, the bottom piece of bread, living religiously. And this section you'll notice is very similar to the top piece of bread, because both, both sections are about how we are to live as Christians. The meat section just serves to show whether we're the fool or whether we're wise. So in this section, James again speaks about the tongue. He also speaks about moral filth, about the pollution of the world, but here he also adds one more point about being loving. So firstly, our tongues. So if we're slow to speak and slow to become angry, we're actually, in fact, doing what James says here, aren't we? We're keeping a tight rein on our tongue. Now, the image given here is um, you, to control a horse, you need a reins. You need some reins. Without these reins, without a tight hold on these reins, the horse would really just go wild or go wherever it pleases. And so likewise, we have to keep a tight rein on our tongues. Otherwise, words will just flow out that we don't want to say. So, and we can actually see this in verse 26. If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Now, James goes on to speak about the type of religion that is actually acceptable to God. And what does this involve? Well, James here speaks of two of his concerns, to care for the orphans and widows in distress. And we read this in verse 27. Religion that our God, our Father, accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. Now, of course, James is not saying that doing these things will save us. 
You see, James has already told us that it's the word that's been planted in us which saves us. It's not the doing these things. But we must remember that we mustn't be mere listeners and not doers of the word. And so to look after orphans and widows is an expression of Christian love. And to love in such a way is really to obey the word of God. Now finally, James urges us Christians to be different to the world around us, to get rid of all moral filth and evil. I mean, the world will try to pollute us, pollute our minds, to, to pollute our thoughts, to be selfish, to be sinful. The world will try to get us dirty, to, to get us morally filthy. And so we are to be on guard, to, to not be polluted by the world. And we see this at the end of verse 27. Keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Now our sandwich is complete. We are to live righteously. We are to live religiously. So now we have to ask, are we the fool or are we the wise? So let's think about that now. Let's think about whether we're in fact the fool in the way we use our tongues. Are we the fool in the way we love and care for orphans and widows? Are we the fool in the way we're influenced and polluted by the world around us? So firstly, let's consider whether we're fools in the way we use our tongues. Are we keeping a tight rein on what we say? Now, we need to keep a tight rein on what we say, don't we? Because words hurt, don't they? Have you ever heard of the rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me? It's, it's a rhyme that you know, kids would say when they're being teased, they try to brush it off as to say that it doesn't hurt. But is that in fact true? Is it true? It's the reverse that's true, isn't it? I mean, the most physically painful thing that I've ever experienced in my short life was back in year 10. I broke my upper arm. It was, a, it was terribly painful. I had to have two operations to get it fixed up. So let me say, it was really painful. But I took it like a man. Not one tear, my eyes weren't even watery. <laughs> but what are the things that have reduced a man like me to tears? Not very often, but they have. But these are words, hurtful words, words that have pierced my heart, words from those particularly close and dear to me. You see, words hurt, and so we are to be slow to speak. So let's think about, are we careful about what we say just on Sundays? Are we careful about what we say just at Bible study or just around Christians or our, our speech, God-honouring every day? Now, just imagine if every word we say was recorded, every single word we said was recorded. Do you think you'll look like a fool? So everything you say in a car, when someone just cuts in front of you without signalling, everything you say at work, when people gossip behind you or, uh, or when things get stressful, Everything you say at home, when you're not appreciated, or when the kids go wild and disobedient. Everything you say, when times are tough, when dis distressing times happen. So if all those things that you said were put into a movie, what do you think it will be rated? G? <laughs> PG? M? Or MA? Would there be coarse language? Would there be hurtful words, words that you'll later regret? Well, let us not be that fool. Let us rein in on, on that gossip, on that slander, on that lying, on that cursing, on that swearing. Let our speech be consistent with the word of God. 
Now, secondly, let's consider, are we fools in a way we're meant to love as Christians? I mean, how are we going at loving our neighbours? How are we going at loving orphans and widows, those in distress? Now, James, in this passage, specifically focuses on these two things, doesn't he? The orphans and widows. And that's because in that society, they were the most disadvantaged in their society. For orphans, there were no orphanages, no foster care in that time, no docs to take care of them. And for widows, no pension, no super, no Centrelink. But now we must ask, how do we apply that teaching to us today? It's a different world, different society. Well, yes, there are still orphans and widows today, aren't there? They still exist. But now it's different. We have a government who will take care of them. There is stocks. There is Centrelink now. And we've paid our taxes, haven't we? We've done our bit in taking care of the disadvantage, haven't we? Well, I'm not too sure. When actually thinking about this, I felt deeply rebuked by it. Christians for a large part of history were well known for their social concern. During the first few centuries, Christians were persecuted. But even though they were persecuted, Christians were the ones who cared for those who were disadvantaged. And because of their love and concern for others, that led many pagans to Christianity. And it is Christians who founded organisations like the Red Cross, like the Salvation Army, like YMCA, World Vision, even RSPCA, was started by a Christian. They started these things because they were concerned for the disadvantaged. But now let's ask, have we as Christians today in this prosperous world, this prosperous city, have we lost this concern for the disadvantaged? Now, I'm not saying that this should be our primary concern. Our primary concern must always be the gospel. That must always take first place. But are we concerned at all for the disadvantaged? So let's think about it. How are we going at caring for widows? I mean, there's widows amongst us in this church. There's widows over at the lodge. And, there, and your neighbour may be a widow as well. How are we going at loving these people? I mean, they might just let a little help around the house. What are we doing? Are they lonely? Do we know that? They might just want some company once in a while. Are we doing anything at loving and caring for widows amongst us? What about orphans? Now, just over three weeks ago, if you're watching the news, a mother and father drowned at South Bellina Beach. They were trying to save their children. Both parents dead. Three orphaned children. Now, was that just a sad piece of news that you rather wish didn't happen? Or did we maybe think about doing something about it? A fund was set up to help raise these children. Maybe we could afford, maybe we'll give generously to that. What are we doing at looking after orphans? Last year, I had a chat with a friend of mine from college, and we both asked each other whether we were thinking of having a third child. And his answer to me was quite surprising. He said they were actually thinking of foster care. Now, at the time, I thought, that's great. That's being generous. That's awesome. But it's not until now when I read this passage that it has really hit me. This friend of mine has real concern for the disadvantaged. And he's just, he doesn't just know that. He's actually doing something about it. So have we ever thought about caring for someone else's child? Thinking about this passage has actually been a real rebuke to me, a real rebuke to my selfish ways. It has revealed perhaps that maybe I'm this fool. 
I'm this fool who knows how to live as a Christian, but does not do it, not loving and caring as I should. So let's ask ourselves, are we fools? Now finally, are we fools in a way we're influenced by the world? Are we easily polluted by the filth that's around us? I mean, do we hate sin the way God hates sin? Or have we domesticated sin? Have we, have we become indifferent to sin that it no longer revolts us as it, as it used to? But the world says it's okay to get drunk, isn't it? It's part of any business party, any business deal. It's a good night out. It's normal. What must we Christians say? It's not okay to get drunk. To get drunk is actually sinful. The world says it's okay to desire the bigger house, the bigger car, the nicer clothes. Work hard for it, work for these things, and you'll get it. What must we Christians say? Well, we must say no. We don't live for these things which are fleeting and will soon disappear. We live for God. We don't live for greed. The world says it's okay to be proud, to be self-dependent, to trust in yourself. I mean, it's only when you believe in yourself that you're able to achieve great things. What must we Christians say? Well, we must say no. We're not to be proud. We're to be humble. And we're to humbly depend on God for every breath we breathe, for all that we have and need. The world says it's okay to look at porn. I mean, it doesn't hurt anyone, does it, if you're doing it alone? It's okay to have wild bucks party. What must we Christians say? Well, we must say no. It's not okay to be lustful with our eyes, to be filthy and dirty with our hearts. You see, to be a Christian is to be countercultural. We are to be like a, a pure, a crystal clear, pristine river, rather than a muddy, radioactive swamp that has been polluted by the world. So let's ask ourselves, are we wallowing in any filthy sin? Are we fools, the fools in this passage? So friends, in life we may do many foolish things. I have my fair share of them. And my accident has revealed to me that I was a fool. I listened to the road safety messages, but I didn't practice it. But let us never make the foolish mistake of the man in the mirror. Let us never deceive ourselves. Let us never be delusional. And let us never forget the word that we've just heard. But let us always obey the word of God. Let our speech, our actions, our behaviour always be consistent with this word that has been planted in us and taken root in us. So let's pray to God that he may help us. Dear loving and merciful Father, we praise you for graciously speaking to us through your word. Help us by your spirit to not be like the fool in the mirror, but to be wise Christians who heed your word and be changed in the way we use our tongues, in the way we love others, and in the way we strive to remain holy and pure and unpolluted for the, by the world. We pray that you may help us do these things for your honour and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.